Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church of God. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. We are in a series called The Sacred Made Practical. It is about James. So if you would turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. James is after the book of Hebrews and before 1 Peter. It is a small book of the Bible. It is packed with all kinds of practical, 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 practical stuff that can change your life. And so if you would, please put your finger in the Bible at James chapter 4. If you're using a phone or an electronic device, I would urge you to use the Version Bible app. And on the bottom right-hand corner, you can click on events, and you'll find Short Church of God there. Um, and click on that, and all the notes for today's message will be found there. Uh, so, as you turn in your Bibles, I want to recap James, what we've been doing so far. This is like the 14th, 15th week of this series. We've been going really, really, really slow through James because James is just loaded. It drips with this wisdom, with how do I live this Christian life? What does this mean for me? What does this look like? How do I, how do I put this in practice? And so as we, as we kind of frame our, our ideas about Christianity, as we frame our ideas about who we are in Christ, we have to kind of press into the central idea of James. And we've talked about this every single stinking week, and I keep on bringing it up because you've got to imprint this onto your hearts, imprint this onto your minds, if you're going to understand the framework in which James is operating, but also how we should be living, how our attitude should be. This is incredibly important to how we, how we view everything in life. And it is this, the very first sentence of James. It's one that I've skipped over for years of reading James. Just skipped over it. Didn't think it was important. It was an introduction. Who cares? But as we read it, as we study James, it's vital. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ. James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ, which I've always taken to think, you know, it's just a nice little introduction that James writes there, whatever, except everything else that James writes in the book of James flows out of this idea of being a bondservant. What is a bondservant? A bondservant is like an indentured servant. It's not a servant. It's not someone who's like, I can clock in and clock out. No, it's a slave mentality. It's a slave relationship. And so what would happen to initiate the bondservant um, relationship in Roman times is that if I had something go on in my past, maybe I had a huge gambling debt, maybe I invested into a shipping company and the ship went down in the Mediterranean, maybe uh, I wanted a better uh, education for my children, maybe there was just something that this master could give me that I was never going to be able to get on my own. Maybe my past debts were just too great. I, who knows what, what was going on that caused this this problem in my life. But I would go to a master, a landowner, someone that had a lot of money and say, I need you to purchase me. And in purchasing me, that person now became responsible for my past, my present, and my future. And so when James says, James, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ, he's coming before God and saying, God, you are now responsible. You are taking on my past, my present, and my future. Does this make sense? Okay, because we have to be operating. We have to be, that is the foundation in which we view the rest of James through. As a bondservant, I I am yours. You have purchased my past. You have purchased 
my present. You have purchased my future. And out of that, everything else operates. Because we're going kind to of get twisted, right? We get this twisted that now I'm, uh, I, God saves me. And okay, that's good for a while. But now all of a sudden, I, I kind of get a little, I think I should be in charge. I'm the only one that has control issues with God, right? Someone gets sick in my life, I think I should be in charge. Someone loses a job, I think I should be in charge. Uh, you know, the weather goes bad. We had baseball games yesterday. And we had baseball games today. It's like, Lord, move that bus. No, move those clouds. Move that those clouds. God doesn't care if I play baseball today. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Um, but we, we get mad. Like, oh, why would you ruin my plans, God? Are you the master? Or is God the master? Is he totally in charge or are you in charge? There's situations that's really, really, really hard to deal with. I have them. You have them. They're not all as easy as about if your baseball game is going to get rained out or not, right? So today we're going to talk about situations that we can't control that drive us absolutely insane. And I will tell you from the very beginning, I do not like this message. I did not have fun writing this message. I, I, I don't like this because it steps all over my toes and it crunches them and does a little happy dance on my toes. Today is about judging people. Today is about how do we treat the people who seem crazy in our lives. Now, everybody doesn't have to point or raise hands or anything like that. We all deal with situations with people we work with. Maybe there are even family members. Maybe they're on the row next to you. Do not point. Do not nudge. Right? That, that make you feel like, like what? How? Did, how are we related? Like, how did we come from the same person? Like, how does that... We have these moments that we deal with these things. And, and man, this is hard. This is hard stuff. And, but as I studied this whole judging people and, and how we speak about people this week, I, I was just blown away by the depth of how important this is to God and how flippantly I have treated it my whole life. That this is one of the most important messages if we can get in our hearts, if we can get in our heads, it will dramatically change your attitude It'll dramatically change your relationship with God. It'll dramatically change the way in which you feel when you feel I'm far away from God or I'm close to God. This topic today has huge ramifications in all of that. Okay? So uh, the too, too long did not read is this. You deal with crazy people in your life by loving them, not by judging them. You deal with people in your life by loving them, not judging them. That's the crux of the whole message. And I can already feel the excuses. But you don't know my family. You don't know this situation. You don't know what they did. I, 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 I got family. Right? I know people. I know you. <laughs> you love people, not judge them. This is incredibly important. It's a shift in mind. And really, it goes back to the whole bondservant idea. We love people when we know that we are under the master. We judge people when we try to make ourselves the master. Okay? So from that, we have to start, start filtering through how this all works. We love people. And you can't love them when you're judging them. So I have to go back and to all the excuses to the people that come to mind when I say, yeah, but they, you don't know how they drive me crazy. I, I, I get it. But can I start the book of Jared with Jared, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ? 
Because if I'm trying to write the epistle of Jared, and I'm going to start it, Jared, a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ, then I have to mean that I actually have bought fully into the idea that God has bought, bought my past, my present, and my future. That he has paid for that. That he is the master and I am not. It's a huge, huge, huge attitude change. It's not something that's easy. It's not something like, oh, I'm not going to judge people anymore. I'm going to get rid of my negative spirit. Like, oh, it's done. I I heard one message and it's all over. This is a lifelong pursuit of changing the way in which you orient your mouth. There's a reason James is always talking about, you keep on, there's a couple reoccurring themes in James. One is God is master. Two is the, your tongue is incredibly important. What the words of your mouth are incredibly, incredibly important. Another one is how do you love people? How do we deal with these things? And the fourth one is how's your attitude? And in this whole judging people, it's kind of, they're all kind of coming into full circle. All these arguments that he's been weaving in and out for the last four chapters are kind of coming all in and making this one uh, concentrated argument about judging people and not slandering against them. It may be a shock to you, but judging people has been a problem for a long time. We're not the only society that's ever had a problem with judging people, right? We have a problem with it. Our society, our entertainment value is primarily based, like if you look at daytime television, it's primarily based on how we judge people, right? Now, if you guys, oh, good, I don't, he's talking about the view. You know, I don't have to worry about it, right? Yeah, the view is like what you're doing is you have a group of people and they're arguing about how they can judge people. The argument is they've already judged someone and they're trying to convince you of how they're judging people, right? Guys are like, Psh, yeah, the view's so bad. Have you ever watched First Take, right? Anything on ESPN is the same thing. Well, LeBron James is terrible. LeBron James is great. And they go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And they are trying to convince you by besmirching the name of some sort of athlete that they are right and that you should believe them. It's all about judging people. And we find, you know, oh, they, they agree with me, so I like them. I'm going to get... Politics, if you watch anything on CNN, Fox News, or MSNBC, whether you agree with them or not, all they do is they argue over the opinions that they have and the conclusions that they have drawn and try to convince you of the same thing. And it f- takes us into the cycle. You want to have a bad attitude? Watch a news network for about a half an hour. Start your day with news. I, when I removed, like I read a lot. I read a lot of like, different newspapers. But I removed those television networks out of my life. I am a happier person. Like, I'm just a happier person. Like, I don't, I still am informed electorate. It's very important that you know what you're voting for and why you're voting for things. Incredibly important. But you don't have to get into the, ugh, of, the of that stuff, all right? Why? Because we, we're getting into, into this negative space of starting judging people from even the beginning of your day. Whether you're watching the news, whether you're watching The View, or whether you're watching ESPN, you're not safe, all right? Just know that are you, are you already stepping into this critical spirit early in the morning or whenever you watch TV? Guard yourself from that. People have been judging people for a long, long time. James 4, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and the judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? 
Let's go verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. This Greek word for slander, this is fun. This Greek word for slander is to speak evil of someone, to speak evil of someone, or to blaspheme. Now, I've never thought of putting someone down or calling someone a name the equivalent to blaspheming against God. So the insults that we say, you're a big doo-doo head, whatever, the same thing is that's blaspheming against God. Whoa! There's a lot of things that have come out of my mouth that I'm like, oh. You wonder why sometimes you've been going to church You've been reading your Bible, you've been praying, you've been doing all the right things, but, but all the, you still feel far from God? I would ask you, how is your, your critical spirit? Have you been speaking ill of other people? Because every time we speak ill, every time we slander, every time we bring evil upon somebody, we're committing the sin of blasphemy. Wow! So how, what's the quickest way to separate yourself from God? Let's, let's start blaspheming, right? I think of the, the Ten Commandments. Let's not, I didn't steal any, anything. I didn't kill anybody. I didn't sleep with anybody's wife. I should be good. God, me and you should be tight. Yeah, except you're, you're slandering my creation every second of every day with your critical spirit. Oh, that hit me like a ton of bricks this week. And so as, why, why is that? Because what we're saying is, God, that your, your creation wasn't good enough. That you, you were missing something when you created that person. That, you, that I could have done a better job. And so we're placing ourselves in the role of master and creator and not God. You understand how that's such a big deal. That, 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 that started to work on me. My, my toes started hurting when I started reading that, right? Do not. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. On in that verse, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it to judge, to distinguish, to condemn or call into question. So James takes this idea of slander to speak evil on somebody and starts to ratchet it up. Because this whole idea of judgment is, is profound in the way in which it kind of shakes us on how our thought processes work. So as we look at it, judging, when we, when we judge someone, we're saying holding them up to some sort of standard, even a biblical standard. When we hold them up to that standard and say, you are found wanting, you are a bad person, you did this, you are this, this, or that, we are taking the role of judge. Folks, that's not our role. That's not our place. We were not created for that. Our role is to love. And this has been one of the, great, the, the greatest temptations of mankind since the beginning. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, Eve goes to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does she grab a hold of? She grabs a hold of the ability to judge what's right and what's wrong. The sin is, is, is going after this ability. I want to be like God. I want to have the authority to judge whether you are good or whether you are bad. And so when she takes a bite of that apple, that unleashes that whole spirit in, into our lives and what goes on from now on for all the rest of humanity. This judging of if you're in the right or you are in the wrong. And James is saying, are you the lawgiver? 
Are you the one that is supposed to have that authority? No. As Christians, we have all kinds of authority. We have the authority, folks. We have the authority to drive out demons. Think about that. We have the authority in Jesus' name to say, get out. Boom. We have that authority. I'm telling you, I don't know when the last time you exercised that authority is, but you probably exercised the authority of judgment this morning. You don't have that authority. That's not in your job description. That's not in your wheelhouse. That's not in your purview. Right? You don't do that. That's not where, what you are trained to do, what you're called to do, how you, are, how you are knit together to do. That is not what you are supposed to be about. That is God's place of authority, not you. But we step into it all the time. It's the same thing. I used to be so anti-Eve. Oh, I was so mad at her. Oh, you stupid. What are you doing? I judged her hard, okay? The reason I could judge her is because of what she did, but well, don't worry about that. <laughs> I used to be so mad at her, but I do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. I want the authority to judge whether you are in the right or you are in the wrong. You talk to a little kid. Bowen is in this paradigm. My, my eight-year-old son is in this paradigm right now. He just wants to know what the rules are. How do I do this? Am I supposed to do this? Is this going on here? Was I right in that? Or was I wrong in that? Everything is going through. He's, he's building those systems in his head of how do I know what is right, what is wrong, even, you know, in a sport, in this game, uh, at home. How do I, you know, for his brain, it's how do I play the system the most and not get in trouble? That's just how he works, right? Uh, he's going to be a fun teenager. Uh, so, <laughs> so much like his mother. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, um, and so that it continues to happen, right? And so I'm in a position as his father, I've got to start making sure that as he's building these paradigms, there's room for love. There's room for mercy. There's room for grace. Because I know about you that sometimes when I have the paradigm of you were right, you wronged me, or I was right, you wronged me, you did this, what are you thinking, whatever. There's no room for grace. There's no room for mercy. There's room for I was right, you were wrong. But that's not where we're supposed to be at. We're supposed to be operating out of love, not judgment. We don't even have the authority to judge. We have the authority to love. We have the authority to serve. We have the authority to feed the hungry. We have the authority to help the helpless. We have the authority to bring peace. We don't have the authority to judge. There's another thing that just smacked me upside the head. That's not, that's not my purview. That's not in my job description. My job description is to love God and love people. Can judgment be in there somewhere? No, it's not. It's not in there. To love. To think about that, this has been something we've been struggling with since the inception of humanity. We get the opportunity to overcome that. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. But you who are, who are you to judge your neighbor? The word that sticks out to me here, there's several of them. Able. The word able. To have the power, to have the possibility, to have the authority. God has the power 
has the possibility, has the authority. He is able. Not the slave, not the bondservant, but God is able. He is the one that can take care of all this judgment. I think sometimes we, we're, we're like the kid in the corner. And it's like, well, he did, he did it. We're like the hall monitors. Like, did you, did you, see, what, did you see what Dean did? Oh, I'm telling. He's in trouble. And God's like, yeah, yeah, I kind of created it all. I know all. I'm omnipotent, omniscient. I got all the alls. Like, I know everything that's going to happen has happened and will happen and all the things that could even happen. I know it all. Yeah, I saw Dean and what he did. Don't worry about it. But we're like, we got to bring that. Tracy did some boo-boo-boo. Because that's it's petty. I make it petty and it's a big deal and in your guys' lives it's a big deal in my life. You know, I got a mother-in-law too. I understand. I make it petty because that's what it must sound like to the God of all creation. Like, the God of all creation is like, yeah, but uh, would you like me to turn that TV around and watch what the stupid things you've done? Uh, no, no, let's just concentrate on them, God. Let's, uh, let's do that. But he is able. He has the power to judge. He has all that. He also has the power to forgive. Sentence goes on. He has the power to what? To save. The Greek word is sozo. It's one of the most fun Greek words to say. Sozo. Um, you can pronounce it or spell it however you want. I can't figure out how to pronounce it or spell it in English. So, hey, sozo. It means to save, save in the past, in the present, in the future. Why do you think it means to save in the past, in the present, in the future? Because if I'm a bondservant, he has purchased my past and my present and my future. He has the power. As he is exercised in your lives, he wants to exercise it in their lives to save them from their past, from their present, and from their future. He is able to do way more than we can ever dream of. No one is too far gone. He is able. He has the authority. He has the potential. He has the possibility to save them from their past and their present and their future. It goes on. The next word is destroy. Apollo my. Me. Apollo my. Apollo me. Sorry. It's a little different than the other. Um, the other. The other word, it means apocalypse, but this one means to destroy. And destroy fully. Like gone like erased from time space continuum you never even happened he has the authority to do that so the same hands god the judge the one that we try to wrestle the idea of judgment from has the power to save everyone from their past and their present and their future he also has the authority the power and is able to wipe from existence not just a little bit of destroy like a whole a whole lot of destroy the, the ability of God to, to, to do what he does is so far past our little petty things, our quest for vengeance, our quest for what we think would be right, our quest for revenge. God has got so much more power. He is so much more able to deal with all of those situations. As followers of Christ, it is our job to place it back in his hands. And for me... For me, what does that look like? How do I even do that? How do I approach that? For me, it's, it's understanding where my, my critical nature is coming from. When I have the opportunity to, to, to speak evil to, about somebody else to, to a friend or to a, a family or whatever, to say, oh, can you believe what so-and-so did? Can you believe this? I have the opportunity to say this is, this, this, this is uh, to slander and to blaspheme, to put down God's creation 
to say God wasn't big enough, because that's what I'm actually saying. When I put into my head and put it into that perspective, is this worth jeopardizing my relationship with God over? Is telling Bud this juicy bit of gossip worth jeopardizing and distancing myself in my relationship with God? The answer to that is no. But we do it over and over again. So maybe for you this morning, one of the tools that you need to know is just have a little check in your, in your day. Is this worth the distance? No, it's not worth the distance. Then I'll keep my mouth shut. That's really hard for me. Keeping my mouth shut is something I struggle with. God gave me the ability to teach, but he also gave me the ability just to talk too much. You got like, yeah, Jared, every message. No. Um, is it, and so I, I have to always th- be thinking through that. And some people in my life, I don't know, you guys don't have anybody in your life that enables you to be more critical, right? There's no one in your life that you can get into a, a conversation and all of a sudden you just were in an hour and a half of cranky fest, right? And they go, whoa, whoa, wait, we don't feel better. Maybe we feel closer, me and you, but that we didn't solve any problems and all we did was probably get us mad and worked up about something we don't even need to be worked up about. So often that happens. And so another thing, that a tool that we need to go is, I, if I know that every time, this is totally untrue, but every time I talk to Missy Frementi, I talk to Missy and we start whining about stuff and we're, we're real critical. Can you believe what, what Ashley did? Oh my goodness. We would never do that, Ashley. I just want to be clear about that. You know, can you believe that? And, and all of a sudden, an hour later, we are just, you know, we've solved the world's problems because they're all Ashley's problems, right? And we've just done this and we leave that relationship and we're like, oh, and I, now I'm critical about Bree. Bree didn't even do anything. She wasn't even the topic of the conversation, but I'm critical about everybody else. And now Eric, I'm, oh, I'm ready to be cut into Eric. And there's nothing about that. But I started off my day with coffee and Missy, and it was fantastic. <laughs> I'm the only one that's done that, right? We got we to gotta build. So when I know Missy, maybe we're predetermined to go ahead and um, we're just predisposed. This conversation, because we've done it before. We've opened up that can of worms, and it's there. And so every time I talk to Missy, it's like, oh, I got some juicy stuff about Leslie for Missy today. Oh, you cannot believe what she did. Now, I know Missy's going to feed into that. So what do I do? I got to come to that conversation with conversation diverters. I got to be ready just to change the subject. I got to be ready to change the subject. Because some of those people, like me and Missy, uh, we never get together and talk, okay, by the way, because I don't meet women at coffee shops. That's not my wife. But, but um, so, it's just a blanket statement to just go ahead and tell you that. Um, but, but I got to come with, with conversation diverters. How am I going to change the subject? How am I going to go to somewhere else? Some of you have friends like that. And you're like, well, I don't even know what I'm going to talk to my friends about. Maybe you don't have to talk to your friends that much. Problem is, some of these people are your family members, and you have to talk to them, right? You get more critical because you feel the safest around their family members, so you just ramp that up. You've got to come to these conversations with conversation diverters. Think about it. Divert it to somebody else, something positive, something beautiful. And then if you can't get past that, pinch your kid so you get to go. You know, make them cry. It's okay. They're great escape artists for that. (laughs) I'm not advocating child abuse, by the way. Just don't say anything at all. It's all right. You can do that. Silence happens. I'm not very good with that. Like I told you, this whole message is really hard for me. But we have to reclaim this time because the, the, the payment of putting something between me and God, it's not worth a fun half a new, a, afternoon with my friend. It's not worth me like getting into this conversation with, for a half an hour. 
It's not worth the bump in popularity. It's not worth in the laugh. To be separated from God, to build up sin, to put sin in between us, to dampen his voice in my life. I don't want that, but I do it all the time. Because as bondservant, he is paid for my past, my present, my future, and I live to serve him, not myself. This morning, I got some questions for you to ask yourself as we try to live this out. Oh, sorry. I missed the whole, whole part. The, the final part of this, uh, of verse 12 is this. But you, who are, to, who are you to judge your neighbor? You deal with crazy people in your life by loving them, not by judging them. What's he hearkening back to? He's hearkening back to the royal law or love your neighbor as yourself. It's pretty hard to love God when you're blaspheming against him. And it's pretty hard to love your neighbor when you're judging them. Can we all agree on that? Right? Man, I, I really struggle with loving your neighbor. Are you judging him? Let's not talk about that, Jared. But who are you to judge your neighbor? You're not God. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you start doing this, start removing this judgmental attitude and, and, and replace it with the love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to start to see your conversations change. You're going to start to see the way in which you interact with people change. Is this an overnight thing? I hope it is for you. I hope you can walk out of this place, repent from a critical spirit, and just walk away and never look back. I know for me, this is like a thorn in the flesh that I have to work through because my brain just works that way. But we can't overcome it. We have to overcome it because our relationship and our submission to God is far more important than anything that being critical will gain us. It's far more important. So the questions, are you stuck, honest with yourself, are you stuck in a hypercritical thought process? Are you there? Are you, are you stuck in a hypercritical thought process? You can't get rid of a hypercritical thought process until you realize you've got a hypercritical thought process. Second question, how is your judgment, judgmental attitude affecting your family? How does your judgmental attitude affect your family? And here's a hard question. Do you see judgmental attitudes come out in your kids? Because if they come out in your kids, they got that from somewhere. Man, is there a, is there a bigger wake-up call for a, a bad habit that you have when you see your kids do it? And then you have to punish your kid for it and you just did it five seconds ago? And you're like, oh, mm, that stinks. My son has got such a quick mouth, and I just kind of want to, and I need to do this because he's just regurgitating what I said. So much like his mother. <laughs> if you're seeing this, because what flows over the head flows over the body. What comes from you as a leader of your household is going to affect your children. And so if you see, you're starting to see that come out in your kids, whether they're two or whether they're eight or whether they're 16 or they're 32, if you start to see that, you've got to knock it off. You've got to change it. That can come from you. That is a, a different gift you can give your kids. You can give your kids the gift or the curse of a critical spirit, or you can give them the gift and the blessing of being able to love people with your speech. Finally, how would exhibiting humility instead of judgment affect the way you interact with your neighbors? How would exhibiting humility instead of judgment affect the way you interact with your neighbors? I think it has a lot, huge ramifications. 
of not, when, you know, you get a neighbor and you don't talk to him very much. Is your only interactions with your neighbor complaining about a different neighbor? Maybe. Yeah, I realize they do not cut their grass ever, and it looks like the Amazon in their front yard. However, yeah, but do you love them enough, know them enough to know, yeah, that's because they broke both legs in a bad motorcycle accident. Maybe we should get together and go mow the grass. Now, nah, it's more fun to talk about them and say that they're being lazy. How do we know that they've been going through something? By loving on them. So how would showing humility change the way in which we interact with our neighbors? I think it could foundationally change the way in which we touch them and speak to them and show them the love of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. God, we ask you to be with us and guide us. Lord, I ask you to, to shape us as we try to become more like you in everything that we do. And Lord, as this... Uh, this challenge, this charge to have you be master of our lives, to be masters of our, of our critical spirits, to be master of our tongue, to be masters of our heart, that you would take all of us. And Lord, as right now, we, I know we struggle through but these different situations we're in, and, and I'm not making light of different situations. Some people are very hard to love. Some people are very hard to care for. Some people are very, very, very difficult people. You know it, God. You created them. So, God, I just ask you for the extra grace. I ask you for the extra wisdom. I ask you for the extra mercy in knowing how to speak love. And maybe the best thing that we can say is nothing at all. So, God, give us a a clamp on our mouth if we need it. But let love flow out of our lives. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.